I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, the author of 16 books and counting. Her memoir will be upon us uh, pretty soon. And uh, it, the wonderful Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg is our host each and every week. She's the subject of a documentary, and and uh, it, she's uh, she's written so many things and lectured on so many different subjects that, uh, you know, she comes up with something uh, that that I learn at least every time we're talking. I, it's something I learn that I just... Uh, is mind blowing to me, and 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 she's at it again. Doc, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine, thank you, Frank. Yeah, I hope. Uh, actually, I hope this will give everybody um, a new attitude towards the world because it gives us hope for saving the planet. Uh, and uh, I I can't wait to get into it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen. Without further ado, uh, what wh- what do you got? I know we talked a little off off mic about, uh, uh, you know, and, and your reference back to a conversation you had a while ago, uh, you know, is there hope for the environment? Is there hope for uh, some of our waste? Uh, is there hope in general for the planet? And uh, and you sound, uh, at least off mic, you sounded pretty uh, optimistic, uh, maybe more so than most people are. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, it's all because uh, two two months ago, it was precisely on October 27th, I reported on an article that came out in National Geographic about efforts to combat climate change. And we have been suffering, I think, just about everywhere, obviously, because it's a world problem and a, uh, a planetary problem. Um, um, about efforts to combat, uh, as I said, to combat climate change. And and the uh, the author of the article in the graphic and the National Geographic is Sam Ferhovic, and I'll probably be repeating his name. So Sam Ferhovic, obviously from somewhere around Czechoslovakia or Poland. Uh, And he had traveled the world to visit newly invented installations that are capturing carbon dioxide and storing it somewhere, somehow, to keep it permanently out of our atmosphere. Uh, And it is carbon dioxide and other pollutants uh, like methane that are uh, smothering the planet and causing uh, climate climate temperature to rise. And... um, Actually, carbon dioxide is the stuff of life, uh, so it is absolutely necessary. Uh, it's the basic unit of organic molecules, and along with H2O, which is oxygen, it dominates all the other elements in the bodies of all living creatures, including us and including plants. Uh, the human body is 18.5% carbon. And back in the mid-19th century, we discovered how to use coal on a massive scale, and we burned it, uh, for instance, in every house in wintry London and created the celebrated London fog, plus a dozen uh, lung diseases that were virtually unknown before. Uh, And this article by Sam Verhovic begins in this way, and I'm quoting him for a little bit here. Um, because uh, what he says is so striking. (laughs) What he says is, over the past few centuries, we have dug 
chopped, burned, drilled, pumped, stripped, foraged, flared, lit, launched, driven, and flown our way to adding 2.4 trillion tons of carbon dioxide to Earth's atmosphere. That's as much CO2 as would be emitted annually by 522 billion cars, or 65 cars per person living today. It's not laughable. It is hideous, and it's a hideous problem. And we are, and this is why I'm so happy right now, uh, we are on our way to solving this. But the result has been to raise the atmospheric concentration of CO2 that remains steady over thousands of years from 280 parts per million to 420 parts per million, which means that by 2050, to prevent the global temperature from rising above 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, we need to remove up to 12 billion metric tons of carbon per year from the atmosphere. And we're failing so far. Mm. Here in Texas, we suffered at least 80 days of temperatures over 100 degrees last summer, and many days at 104 to 108 degrees. And I think Phoenix, Arizona reached 120 degrees. Since there uh, was only one short rainfall during those 80 days here in San Antonio, my newly sodded lawn, which was planted in April, was fried, roasted, burned, and broiled. And I'm hoping that spring 2024 will bring enough rain to possibly resurrect it. Uh, But it looks pretty dead right now. In the 20th century, capturing a gas freely floating in the atmosphere, commingled with oxygen, hydrogen, and other gases, was a pipe dream. Today, we have not only discovered how to do it, we are doing it. It's still on a far too small scale, but anyway, uh, here are some of the inventions that I reported on two months ago. Just outside Reykjavik, Iceland, inventor and engineer Edda Aradovir, who is CEO of a small company called Carbfix, all in one word, Carbfix, is capturing CO2 from the air, mixing it with water, and feeding it through a web of pipes down 2,500 feet underground. There, the CO2 and water meet igneous rock where it penetrates the rock and solidifies into stone. In Arizona, an engineering professor has created a mechanical tree that does the work of a thousand natural trees in capturing and storing CO2. Most of the figures presented in this paper, the dates, the weights, and the measurements, and so forth, come from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC. One of the IPCC's intellectual godfathers is Klaus Lackner, a physicist running the Center for Negative Carbon Emissions at Arizona State University at Tempe. 
He is the genius behind the mechanical tree. The tree is three stories tall and sucks, filters, and stores carbon a thousand times more than a natural tree. It keeps carbon stored, whereas a natural tree emits its stored CO2 when it dies. <coughs> My only question here is, if stored inside the mechanical tree, what happens when it is at full capacity? Where to store that? Verhovic's article supplied no answer to this question. Some environmental groups attack such efforts at carbon removal, fearing that if we put huge efforts and billions of dollars into CO2 capture, we will become complacent and continue to pour carbon into the air. In other words, business as usual. But to save the planet, we must do both, capture and drastically cut carbon production, that is, remove 12 billion metric tons of CO2 each year by 2050. That means in 26 years. Hmm. Your baby boy or girl will just be getting married, starting a career, if he or she has survived that long. So is there any real hope? I think there is, and I'm now going to take up each carbon-devouring invention mentioned so far to show what is being done with each one. Climbworks, a Swiss company, has invested $650 million in Carbfix, the Icelandic company that turns air into stone deep underground. This is so far the largest investment in carbon capture. The company's customers include, and note this, this is important hmm. for, uh, for those of you who have, practical, who have practical minds. So customers include Microsoft, J.P. Morgan Chase, and the payment system firm Stripe, um, Stripe, period. Climeworks CEO Jan Wurzbacher says direct air capture will plummet in price just like the cost of solar panels and wind turbines. He plans to build hundreds of thousands, no millions, of small plants like the one in Iceland and distribute them worldwide. He hopes to remove one megaton, that is one million metric tons, annually from our air by 2030, and that is in only six years. 100 megatons by 2040 in 16 years, and by 2050, one gigaton, that is a billion metric tons per year. So what powers the Icelandic unit? Geothermal heat, of course, which is abundant at that location, as the recent volcanic eruption demonstrated. More of these facilities must also run on clean, renewable power, else they would, uh, would uh, emit as much carbon as they remove. The Climeworks facility depends on solar and or wind power to run its units over a much wider area. It, like Icelandic carb fix, uses a system of giant fans and filters to trap the CO2 in the first place. Carbon removal is a product like any other and must be paid for. Right now, major airlines propose to be carbon neutral by 2030 or 2040. What they mean is that they will purchase the amount of carbon capture that balances the air pollution they will continue to cause. 
Potentially, billions of dollars must be sunk into this massive project that polluters must find ways to lessen the impact of their pollution. Hence, Biden's push for the pur purchase of electric cars. The problem remains, at present, how much carbon is produced in creating the batteries to run these cars, and are these batteries efficient enough to enable them to cross the long distances between western cities, such as between San Antonio and El Paso, Texas, which is over 500 miles. Hmm. To travel... Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> to travel Western Ranch country without getting stranded. Right now, they are, these batteries are not capable. There is a place called Moomba that lies deep in the Australian outback in one of the least populated areas in the world. An entrepreneur named Julian Turek, Turecek who is a, a CEO of Aspira DAC, plans to operate tens of thousands of solar-powered modules to trap CO2 and lock it away underground. Sun, space, and storage, he says, Australia has all those in abundance. Backed by contracts funded from Stripe and parent companies Facebook and Google, Turacek is building modules in Brisbane and will begin installing them at Moomba this very year. Each module is the size of a two-person tent with two solar panels six and a half by six and a half feet in size. The panels power a fan that blows air across a polymer honeycomb device that filters CO2 then releases it into a collection system. Each unit daily collects enough solar power and batteries to run through the night. He plans to place hundreds of thousands of these in remote places all over Australia. There could be a million or more, he says. Each module captures two metric tons per day. The Australian government under conservative PM uh, post, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison supports the Aspira project while continuing to mine coal and, <laughs> and sell it to India and China, thus exemplifying the moral ambiguity denounced by opponents of uh, direct CO2 capture. Our oceans are another huge CO2 storage dump. A company called Vesta is creating and spreading a mint green colored sand and mixing it with beach sand. The green sand is called olivine. It's a magnesium iron silicate that is found in the Earth's upper mantle. Mixed with water, it absorbs CO2 and yields bicarbonates that sequester carbon. <coughs> Absorption increases as more area is covered. Vesta spread olivine at North Sea Beach Colony along Long Island's Little Peconic Bay, and you know about that, right? Yeah. I'm sure. Yes. In July 2022. But little has been done since because money is lacking for further research. People do not feel the urgency of the problem. The project needs government and media support, and it will not get government support as long as the Republican Party is in dominance. 
Our oceans also support large fields of seaweed, since kelp, for example, absorbs vast quantities of CO2. Hang on, I'm going to have to throw my cap off. That's okay. Just a minute. Okay, so I'm going on now. Our oceans also support large growths of seaweed, since kelp, for example, absorbs vast quantities of CO2. What we need is huge islands of kelp, says Pia Winberg of New South Wales. She has, she has repurposed a paper mill to become a mecca for all things seaweed. Her company, which is called FICO Health, manufactures edible products such as fettuccine, granolas, supplements, probiotics, cosmetics, and skin products, all from seaweed. It could be a major source of nutrition for the world while clearing up the planet and lowering the temperature. This, too, needs media and government support. In Zurich, Aldo Steinfeld, a professor at, at, at Zurich, at, at ETH Zurich, a public university, works on sustainable energy systems, and he uses a 12-sided hexagon-shaped collection of mirrored panels the size of a large beach umbrella that focuses sunlight to create a beam so intense that it splits CO2 and water into component parts. It forms two separate streams, carbon monoxide and hydrogen in one and oxygen in the other. He vents the oxygen and the mix of carbon dioxide and hydro, I think it's carbon monoxide and carbon hydrogen, yes, mm -hmm. correct, uh, is uh, a liquid resembling kerosene and is directly usable to run machines that normally use gasoline, diesel, or kerosene. Two airlines and Zurich Airport have agreed to use the fuel on a trial basis. So there is one, uh, one way of using the product of carbon, uh, carbon dioxide uh, gas once it is solidified and treated, of course. The Biden administration's huge Inflation Reduction Act includes billions of dollars in tax breaks for companies developing direct air capture technology. In West Texas, Carbon Engineering, a Canadian company, is building a carbon removal plant ironically, in the Permian Basin amidst all those fracking towers. The creation of fuel from air and water actualizes a myth going around when I was a teenager that a company existed that could make gas, gasoline, out of water. Now it is possible. Possible but expensive. We now know how to do it, and do it we must, or die. Okay, so far I have repeated in abbreviated form what I reported last October. Now, so that the significance of news uh, from our local newspaper, the Express News, will sink in better, I'm continuing with front page and prominent articles from last Sunday's, sun, uh, it's a sec section of the, of the paper on Sunday, which is called S.A. Incorporated, S.A. Inc., which is San Antonio Incorporated Pages, obviously the business section. 
These stories concern what is being done locally here in San Antonio, Texas, with the CO2 once it is captured. Sarah Di Natale's excellent article reports on a company called Carb-Free Carb Chemicals. This company captures flue gas at a cement plant here in this city to make baking soda and other chemicals that are in demand in manufacturing. For example, it produces the chlorine now used by the San Antonio water system. That process is, appro is appropriately called sky mine. <laughs> it keeps 50,000 metric tons of CO2 out of the air each year. The ultimate goal is, of course, to keep 12 million metric tons of CO2 out of the air each year. So 50,000 metric tons sounds great, but it sure isn't, doesn't hold a candle to 50 million <laughs> metric tons. Yeah. We have to do much more, obviously. Anyway, Carb Free began operation in 2016. They're economical because they convert gas to soda, that is, a gas in the air, not gasoline, to soda on site rather than pipe it to faraway converters. Its CEO, Martin, uh, Martin Kiley, says that carbon capture is booming because of the Biden administration's demand that every major industry strive to cut emissions by more than half by 2050 or sooner. And 140 other countries are demanding the same thing. Without such an effort, the world will experience more summers with withering heat waves and mercilessly rising sea levels, huge destructive tornadoes, and deadly violent earthquakes. Every large company in the world is under pressure to reduce carbon production to net zero, and most have committed to reducing their footprint to 50% by 2030. That's only six years from now. And the commitment is legally enforceable as well. Texas has become a hub for experimentation because of the already existing energy industry foothold. The companies committed to rapid carbon reduction include, ironically, ExxonMobil, Chevron Corporation, wow. Shell, and BP and P. Valero Energy Corporation, which is the local Texas uh, uh, gas gasoline company, petroleum company, says it will reduce and displace emissions by 100% by 2035. Houston has the only coal power plant with an attached carbon capture facility. It recently started up again with its new attachment, that is, uh, a, uh, a, a carbon um, a carbon use a carbon conversion uh, attachment after being closed for more than three years. Also in San Antonio, Solidia Technologies makes cement that captures carbon as a part of its cement making process. It began this line of cement at the end of October two months ago, and is already sending product out to be tested by contractors. Kylie has a personal stake in the success of his enterprise. 
he has a brand new granddaughter born just before Christmas, and he wants the world to be a better place for her to grow up in. This business is better than others for customers. Instead of charging them to capture their emissions and store them, he makes a profit <coughs> selling the chemicals he produces. So Sarah Di Natale's article goes on to explain more of the functioning of carbon-free of carb-free chemicals. I'm I'm following her text closely here, and I'm quoting her. About 50 workers keep the local plant running. Large yellow pipes guide flue gas from the neighboring cement factory straight to carb-freeze tanks. The emissions then undergo a feat of science that uses salt to produce mounds of crystal white baking soda, which contains carbon molecules that would otherwise have gone into the atmosphere. And here's this cat again. <laughs> Face it's another phase in the process at carb free is called sky cycle, which uses magnesium and calcium to capture the carbon and produce limestone or precipitated calcium carbonate and hydrochloric acid. Precipitated calcium carbonate is essentially calcium powder that already has a multi billion dollar industry behind it often simply called PCC. The powder is a versatile ingredient that provides the gritty texture to cleaning supplies and toothpastes. It's the main ingredient in antacids, and it can make paper whiter and plastic pipes stronger. And I, that was a quotation. U.S. Steel, recently acquired by Japan's Nippon Steel, announced its partnership with Carb Free this year but the two are still in the final stages of working out details. If all goes according to plan, Carb Free will set up a plant next to the steelmaking plant in Gary, Indiana, for easy access to the byproducts they will use to make calcium carbonate. Kylie says the company is ready to deploy the technology, which can capture 50,000 metric tons of carbon a year. U.S. Steel is excited about the potential cooperation with CarbFree. Once the agreement is finalized, the companies are targeting a plant start date of two, 2025, so that's just next year. As it expands, Kylie says the company is committed to keeping its headquarters in San Antonio. So that's that article. Uh, and another article in the same issue of S.A. Inc. is written by Richard Webner and details a startup company called Grassroots Carbon. The article rates a full-page spread and depicts CEO Brad Tipper, a New Yorker in blue jeans and boots, <laughs> amid a herd of cows that look to be hybrids between Herefords and Longhorns. The author, Webner, begins by saying, and I'm quoting him, the, ideas, the idea behind grassroots carbon can be mowed down to this. Cattle eat grass. When grass grows, it draws carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Therefore, the grazing practice used by ranchers in Texas and across the United States 
can have a tremendous impact on global warming. And this is a genius, uh, genial idea. And mm-hmm. It's a, a stroke of genius, I should say. Yeah. And here is how it works. The company partners exclusively with the ranchers to support their transition from conventional ranching to regenerative. The continental USA is 41% grasslands or 350 million acres. That's a lot of acres, 350 million acres in grass. Less than 5% today is regenerative. It's the largest land mass available that's capable of sequestering carbon and it's traditionally overlooked. The concept of ranching and cattle has been vilified because cattle feedlots dump tons of methane, a pollutant worse than carbon dioxide, into our air. The company focuses on providing ranchers with both the educational as well as financial resources, not just to make the transition from conventional uh, conventional ranching, but to implement, maintain, and sustain those regenerative practices to help draw down and sequester more carbon. The carbon, here comes the cat again, in the grass rather than the atmosphere. And the idea is not just to increase the grass coverage, but also speed up the process of drawing down carbon. What happens is essentially those grasses enter a state of shock So they're saying to themselves, we need to grow faster and faster. And so they're drawing more carbon out of the atmosphere through those frequent rotations. And what this is talking about is uh, uh, in ranching, you uh, you will have a herd of cattle in one area to, to eat the grass down to the earth almost. And then you move them out of that area to another area, and they do the same to that one, and then they're moved to maybe a third area, and so you make a a rotate the movements of cattle so that the other two areas that have been eaten can grow back. So this point, the point to regenerative ranching is that uh, you allow for rest periods, uh, so um, so it the grass can establish its root system and really grow grow fast above the soil, and the cattle are helping speed up the process because they're creating natural fertilizers. So grass grassroots carbon uh, offers a pasture map app. Every ranch is separate and unique. A ranch in Corpus Christi, Texas, is different from one in Colorado. Pasture Map is the tool, which is part of the partnership program, to enable informed decisions around uh, rotational grazing for each ranch and help establish the proper uh, corral size or paddock size, rest areas, the amount of capacity in the number of cattle that can be raised, to improve not only the productivity of the land, but also improve the overall well-being of the animals. Increased rotations can increase the number of cattle on a property because the grass is growing faster. 
An ever-increasing number of carbon credits generated by this process can be sold to large corporations such as Shell and Microsoft that are looking to meet their net zero climate initiatives by 2050. Our grocery giant, HEB Grocery Store, uh, which is booming in our area, has beaten out all the other grocery stores, the big ones like Safeway, Albertsons, Piggly Wiggly, Andy Andy, and the like, and is sponsoring a grassroots uh, carbon uh, since it is directly linked to its need for its, that is, the grocer's need for meat products. Ultimately, CEO Tipper's vision is to mobilize the entire 350 million acre landmass of the United States while inspiring more corporate and consumer particip participation. If we put a high level of rigor and alignment around the ranching cattle industry, we can reach and maintain our goal of carbon dioxide pollution to, uh, to reducing um, the carbon dioxide pollution to pre-industrial levels. And there you are. These industries, which are inventing ways of using the carbon dioxide that is sequestered, um, are increasing. And they seem to be increasing daily from, from what I read in the newspaper last Sunday. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, it's incredible, and it, uh, it makes... It makes you feel like there is some hope out there, yeah. and and what happens there, and I, I think it has a a residual effect when when you give people hope because all of a sudden people say, you know what, I, it, you know, not only are these ideas good, but you know, let me see what else comes up, and you you're hearing more and more about regenerative farming or regenerative uh, agriculture. And it's touched on quite a bit in, in you know, just the the articles that you're reporting back on without exactly talking about that. And if you, uh, it, you know, if you think about it, um, there are, uh, you know, there are reasons why a general farmer doesn't want to hear about things like this. And one of the, you know, one of the reasons is, and, and some of the things that, uh, that you were talking about here, uh, a, a farmer could argue against it because uh, it's new skills that he or she has to uh, develop and, and maybe new, um, uh, new uh, I don't know, uh, you know uh, resources have to put into it and, and fees and different things like that. But what you're, what you're suggesting here and these brilliant ideas, I mean, ingenious ideas that people are, are talking about the younger farmers the uh, the children of the farmers uh, the kids that are in cornell university you know uh, up mm -hmm. in, in yeah. ivy league school one of the eight ivy league schools has a heavy agricultural uh department those are the kids and when i say kids i mean young people i mean it respectfully that are going to pick up uh, we hope on on these type of ideas that uh, that you're talking about, and mm -hmm. uh, you know when uh, when they do, and and when they start coming out of school with a fresh, um, you know, step in there uh, or jump in their step or or a fresh uh, set of wind in their sails, 
um, it, you know, who knows where where we're going to go. If you don't have, you know, let's just say these four articles, and, and I know these articles are, are lead to other concepts and there are other articles out there and whatever, but if you don't have this, what you have is just darkness, that it's just we're waiting for doom. We're waiting for gloom and doom yes. to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, this uh, this same article, by the way, uh, says that uh, um, that this man um, Tipper from New York does not talk to the farmers about climate change because he knows that most of them are are uh, are Trump voters. Right. <laughs> uh, instead, he t- talks to them about increased profits, uh, which will surely follow if they use this. Uh, regenerative uh, 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 methodology. Yeah, this uh, this uh, trading around system of uh, putting the cattle in one place and in another place, which is, <clears throat> which they already do because you cannot have cows uh, in one place all the time, or they'll starve because they eat the grass down. The grass can't uh, doesn't have a chance to grow, and so it will die. Uh, so they know about re- about rotating their rotation. Uh, so so anyway, he's talking their language to them, uh, which is money. You know, you can make more money if you do this. Yes, uh, right. and it it has already started. So he it isn't just an idea. Uh, he's already got I don't know how many a thousand acres. I think it's something like thirty thousand acres. Uh, he already has going like this. And uh, it, it is succeeding even under the difficult heat problems that we had last summer. Uh, so, um, so anyway, I think that uh, one rancher will be talking to another. If, it, if it's succeeding, which it seems to be, uh, they'll talk to each other and say, hey, you can make more money off of that uh, you know, 8,000-acre farm you got yeah. ranch you got um, and uh, and more and more of the texas uh, ranchers will uh, will do this and and as you say the young kids coming out of uh, of texas a&m or right. cornell uh, will pay attention to this too obviously so and uh, and carb fix is also uh, making money mm. uh, with with limestone, I don't really know what uh, baking soda, how that is used in uh, in industry, but apparently it is. Uh, it is not used in cooking apparently because it's not quite the right grade for that. It's not uh, refined enough to be used in your kitchen, but uh, but it is industrial grade. You know, so the- they're making money. Um, and I think more more people are going to jump on the bandwagon with other ideas on how to use carbon dioxide uh, that is now a solid rather than a gas. And that is what astonishes me most of all, that you can take gas and turn it into something solid, even rock. Uh, yeah. So, so if you can turn it into something useful, immediately useful, then... Uh, uh, then we said we do have some hope, you know, and we can we can also have our our steak uh, on a uh, let's say on a Saturday night uh, <laughs> if we like steak, uh, and 
and not feel guilty about it. Because at the moment, since uh, the cattle lots, which are a plague on the on the planet, are emitting so much methane, we feel uh, that we shouldn't be eating beef because it contributes to the uh, to global warming. Yeah. Uh, now, now uh, with this new idea, we could uh, we could feel that we're actually contributing to uh, cleaning up the planet instead of destroying it. You know, you know, I wanna I wanna comment on something that you said way early in in your commentary, <clears throat> and it's uh, you know, and you got to pardon my ignorance on this, but uh, the London fog, as you pointed out, um, was created by you know the uh, the mass use of uh of coal you know and, and yeah. not not that much long not that long ago if you think about it and um what was what did you say in the 1800s is that when we figured out how to uh yeah to utilize coal now i i didn't know i never knew in all these years can you imagine that that's where the london fog came from was from <laughs> uh, that's that's incredible but the the thing that stands out after you know you mentioned it, and then you went on to you know just to speak about you know about these uh, the articles and solutions, is that I I never thought for a moment that there is there is a there is a hope for the London fog. You know you just figure that's whatever it is it's uh, it's going to be there and you're never going <laughs> to you're never going to clear it up. But after hearing some of these different these different thoughts. And, and I know it wasn't, you know, addressing exactly the uh, the London fog or the uh, the coal, um, the resi uh, residual effects of of coal, but all of a sudden, I'm starting to think that maybe everything that we've done to the planet we could either reverse or that we could solve somehow. And yeah. uh, there's hope, and you said it right in the beginning, and you know I'm commenting on that uh, that that all of a sudden we don't have to take things as absolutes you know uh, mm -hmm. the methane that is is coming out of the cows it's a natural gas that comes out of uh, the cows and and there's just no way around it but if you could utilize the methane if you could figure out um a, a use uh for this and and of course everyone's uh you know trying their hardest to uh, to do that and the carbon monoxide you know all of a sudden uh you know maybe the solution that we that we had um or 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 the non-solutions that we've had i should say uh you know all, all of a sudden it's going to get us thinking in a different direction um yes and, you know there there's a there's a famous story and i won't go into it uh all specifically but um it, it was about a it was about uh, a a miner and he was uh, he was convinced he hired all kinds of geologists um, to uh, to investigate this one piece of land, and he staked a claim, and, and he dug and he dug and he dug, because he was absolutely convinced scientifically that there should be a huge deposit of of gold there. He ended up quitting after after a couple of years. He just he found small deposits of gold, but not uh, not anything big. And somebody else came along, not not too far uh, after he left. And, you know, this guy went off and he took off and somebody else said, you know, why was this guy so convinced that there was a solution here? And he staked the claim. He took over the guy's claim or restaked it or whatever. And he started digging and 15 feet away, 
15 feet away, he found the largest gold, and this is somewhere in California, I think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he found the, the largest, I, I think still to this day, the largest uh, American uh, deposit of gold in, uh, in history. And the, the thing, though, is that he, he started digging, and he digged just 15 feet before he hit it, but it was 15 feet in the other direction. Oh. Right. So in other words, he could have he could have dug another hundred feet down and still not hit it. He just changed right. the direction of which uh, where he was going. And maybe that's what we have. To, and I use it as an analogy. And yes, these, exactly. These articles have it. Uh, so we're trying to think, oh, how can we solve this? And, and shame on on the people that just say there is no solution and let's just forget about it. And quite frankly, that's that's where I was. Uh, before you started talking about this back in October, you know, I just thought there's no hope. You know, it's just, you know, it's it's something we're going to have to, uh, you know, we're going to have to try to uh, hold ourselves back from doing more damage. <coughs> but there was no reversing what we've already done. Now, mm-hmm. after October, you know, the, the show in October and the, the show now here, the first show of the new year for us, um, you know, all of a sudden there's uh, there's there's a hope. And n- not only a little bit of hope, but I think like a, a huge bright ray of sunshine that uh, that we could we could hope. And look, I'm 56 and you're 89. Um, I you know I don't I'm know that. We, the, I'm now 90 plus. 90. Oh my God, that's right. You're 90. 90 <laughs> years young. Uh, but I don't think in all these all of our years we had any hope that the environment was going to uh, could be repaired. Right, right. Uh, yes, that was our that was our uh, attitude there for for a while. But now people have been thinking, moving in the other direction, as you say, yeah. uh, in the various other directions in order to uh, solve the problem, rather than <laughs> turning up our toes and giving up. I mean, we we are actually busy fixing things, and that is. I think a characteristic of the human spirit that we just don't give up uh, e- even when things seem ho- hopeless. So more power to us, <laughs> I say. <laughs> and um, and fooey on all those people who believe that climate change is the way of the planet. It was. It's going to happen. We're all going to die. You know the the negative part, which is, uh, which is pro-Trump. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think they should flee Trump because of the pessimism of that attitude. Yes. Oh my gosh, amazing. Uh, but uh, listen, Doc. Great, great job. I mean, this is. Uh, you know, every. I, I think you hit home runs every week. But I mean, you know, this is a grand slam. And uh, this is something that we could build on, and uh, and and find hope with. I, I just absolutely, um, just uh, amazing to me uh, that that we have some real, uh, we have real uh, hope out there, yes. and and some encouragement out there. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this grass grassland rotation business. Uh, seems like a tremendously wonderful idea, uh, and it, it will improve the planet in other ways besides just the, the climate. It'll improve uh, nutrition and all kinds of things. So 
uh, an excellent idea, and more power to Mr. Tippett from New York. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Biden is the president who has made a big push in this regard, uh, climate climate pollution and what to do about it uh, more than any other president. And I think he, his name may go down in history uh, as a, a wonderful president just on that account alone, if not for many others. Yeah, just great job, Doc. Great job, as always. And and to everyone out there, I, I hope they had a, a great Christmas, a, a wonderful holiday. And a happy new year, and may uh, 2024 be a very positive one for uh, all of us, one with uh, with hope, and uh, maybe get away from some of the negativity that uh, seems to uh, overshadow. But um, you're absolutely right. Uh, this all of a sudden there's some encouragement, and uh, just very excited about this. Uh, Doc, thank you very much. Happy new year. Happy New Year to you and to all the listeners. And to uh, all of you, thank you very much for listening. I know you have a lot of options, and we know uh, we know there's, uh, there's a lot of other uh, places you could be listening, but we thank you for listening to us each and every week. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on The Florence Weinberg Show.